0: Thanks, Mary, for uh, our, your kind introductions. And we are friends, and we are very good colleagues, as we've always been here in Um I would like to uh, begin our discussion this morning by just give, just saying, basically, that as the chairman of the assessment committee of NICEFELT, I am very happy with this year's theme for the colloquium. It's truly a frightening time for foreign language teachers. However, it's also an exciting time when you think about the opportunity that we now have in creating best practices and assessment at all levels for all students. This is a time where we can help set a direction, but we must be prudent about the direction that we take We must be sure that the education, the instruction that we give to our students is truly intertwined in the assessment. So today we would like to engage you in a conversation. We want you to think about the direction which we should set for all students at all levels. Very good,
1: thanks Lou. Um, In my perspective, um, as you know, I worked at State Ed for a number of years, and a part of my job was actually involved in the assessment office. So I had um, responsibilities that included not only curriculum development, but also test development. And so what I wanted to say to you today is when we talk about best practices, the first thing that comes to my mind is the importance of maintaining the kind of integrity that the state has maintained and established for the past 100 years in terms of foreign language assessments. During the 1980s there was a big renovation in this culture with regards to communicative language teaching which was really came out of the German model at that time and was brought over here by a series by Wolfgang Schnitzel Schnitzer schnitzel Sch- wolfgang what was his last name schnitzer. schnitzer Schnitzer. thank you I was close at least I didn't say Sch- wolfgang Schneid- Schneid. Um and um, they really helped to establish a curriculum first and foremost with clearly stated objectives and outcomes which is our New York State syllabus and they match an assessment right to that and our assessment which is integrates all four skills is designed to really uphold our New York State curriculum, our syllabus, as well as to make assessment um, accessible for all children. This is a statement that I think really needs to be heard loud and clear, because in the, in the absence of state exams, which is now what we're facing, and next year we probably will have no more state assessments, we need to make sure that we uphold this basis, this basic uh, structure that has kept foreign languages alive. Um, that is the best practice. All four skills clearly integrated, outcomes are, nicely, are, are clearly stated. We know what we need to do in the classroom to get kids to use and apply language. The concern we need to be keep foremost in our minds is that if you decide at a local level to start to morph that, you are hence changing the entire structure of New York State foreign language education. And you, are, you run the risk of systematically excluding certain children from having success on those exams. So please keep that in mind. Um, our exams are solid. I think they're a fantastic model for us to use. I think that they are they they withstood the test of time. They're well constructed. They, um, there, there is when they are done correctly at State ed, there are thirteen steps in the process to get from beginning to end. They are reviewed by everybody, including your district superintendents as well as your peers before they get to the table. So these exams are very closely monitored. Testing is done. Um, the items are scrutinized. I mean, even as of uh, two days ago, I was called uh, and, and we talked about an exam question to make sure that it was appropriate, making sure that the wording on there was okay. So you know. When we talk about best practices, I think it's easy for us. We have a best practice in place. It's there. Let's try not to lose it. It really helps to solidify the field.
2: One of the questions that will be addressed um, during the breakout sessions this morning um, is how do we blend effectively instruction with the assessments that we're giving? Um, And as teachers, it's incumbent upon us to design instruction that pairs the overarching um, summative assessments and uh, with parallel formative assessments. Um, And that's not to say we should teach to the test, um, but rather we should assess throughout the year those skills in which students will demonstrate their proficiency at the end of the year. Uh, One important component of designing this formative assessment is collaboration. Teachers need to work with one another to align their methods of assessment. This tends to be an easier process in larger districts. In my district, for example, we have created common quarterly assessments for seventh and eighth grade. Teachers work together at the beginning of the marking period to map out the quarter. Uh, they decide what topics and skills will be covered and then create an, an exam. Each teacher creates a component of the exam which mirrors the structure of the Checkpoint A proficiency exam. After it is completed, they review it, they edit the exam where necessary, um, and we have found that these formative assessments not only prepare students for the Checkpoint A summative assessment but it also facilitates the alignment of the teacher's scope and sequence of the curriculum. Now, again, in my district, you know, of 8,000 students, this is a bit easier to tackle, um, but it's no less important in smaller districts with singleton teachers. And in those cases, I think teachers really need to reach out to their colleagues, colleagues in the region, in other small districts, to establish this crucial, crucial collaboration. And luckily, we have organizations such as NICEFELT and COLT that provide opportunities for this collaboration Um, and, you know, allows people to come together to discuss best practices and really network with their local colleagues. And I think now that this assessment has been eliminated, I think it's going to be even more important that those teachers come together to collaborate so that we're not all (coughs) over the place in terms of how we're assessing our students.
3: And Bill mentioned both formative and summative assessment. And part of that is to have in our mind a clear idea and concept of what is formative assessment versus summative assessment. It has to be clear in our mind. And the key word for formative, you have to think feedback, and specific feedback. Three other terms that you will hear throughout the morning and day are interpretive, interpersonal, and presentational. And it's a cycle when we talk about assessment. So that, yes, we have always been doing listening and reading. But what do we do beyond that? Can we now talk about what the students are reading? For example, for years, I did reading journals. And you know, before the online, they were in spiral notebooks. But they became the basis for personal interviews. Those reading journals, those articles that students were reading based on their interests were the basis for interpersonal, that peer-to-teacher or peer-to-peer interviews that we do. And then the presentational. And at the formative stage, do we provide the scaffolding? And then when do we remove it? So those are the kinds of discussions we want to have. And I want to share this story because it was so, um, it just emphasized to me the importance of assessment and what students really remember. I have a Blackberry, and of course, it doesn't always work the way I want it to, so I go to the Verizon store, put my name in the little machine, I'm on the list, and I finally get called up to the counter. One of my former students. Now, we are not talking about a student I had a couple years ago. This is Amanda from maybe... Senora, do you remember me? And, you know, my mind goes back. Oh, yeah, period three, row. Uh, okay. So 15 years ago, I had Amanda. She said, I am so glad to see you. I have a question for you. <laughs> Who would have guessed? She said, do you remember those stories we wrote? You had us, you bought those, purchased those blank books, and we each had to write a mystery novel in Spanish. Do you remember those? And... I've just retired from the classroom in June, so one of my Rubbermaid containers has what in it? You know, I'm just one of those that just can't throw out student project things, right? So I'm thinking, oh my God, I just recently saw those blank books, you know? And she's like, well, I was wondering if you still have mine. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, Amanda you know I'd have to go look in my basement but the point of the story is Amanda didn't ask me do you still have that chapter five unit test with multiple choice on it that's not what she remembered she didn't say do you remember what I got on the regents exam she didn't not that those aren't important but it just shows that these when we talk about assessments these authentic assessments. These personalized performance assessments, that integrate the skills because these mystery novels they wrote were based on literature we had done in class. They were based on listening. They were based on other readings. Yes, they were based on grammar. They had to have certain tenses included in these mystery novels. But what she remembered is she wrote a book in Spanish. That's what she remembered. And I think that's crucial when we talk about assessments, whether they're formative, whether they're summative. They need to be performance-based. They need to be interpretive, interpersonal, and presentational.
0: You know, I would, I'm going to pick up on what Vicki has said because of the fact that some, some of us have, really have no idea of what she's talking about but we all do. It is, these are the new guidelines that Actful has set for us. And what they have based their um, five C's on from which New York State takes and we, cre- and we create our two C's for our curriculum. So it's, it's really imperative that everybody goes and tries to find out and understand what interpretive, interpersonal, and presentational is. Yesterday, Yesterday, um, I gave a pre-conference about assessment beyond checkpoint B, something that we always look for from the state to do for us, and we know now that they're never going to do that for us. It was on my it, list. It was on Al's list. It was on, on my list. list. It was it a, wasn't. <laughs> right. No, seriously, it was. Too it many was. vacation days. But anyway, no, I quit instead. Uh oh. <laughs> you remember? Same, same difference. So. When I said to you at the beginning, it is an exciting time for us. It is, it is definitely a threatening time for us. We all know that without state assessments, we're looking at downsizing. However, we should also take this opportunity to expand and go beyond. But what Al said was, is fundamental. We need to make sure that we keep what we have worked so hard to establish. And when we look at that examination, It has interpersonal, it has presentational, and it does definitely have interpretive on it. So make sure that we maintain that and no matter how we set up, Bill's bills saying too that his district is a large enough district to create this quality examination within house, but we can look to consortiums, school districts working together Awesome.
4: Uh, with age comes two things privilege but also you forget and so I have written down what I'm gonna say okay uh, I, because I had a, a lot of experience with two non-traditional groups Mary asked me if I would address them one are pupils with special needs and one are the very young the Fless program. all right and those, so my mar- remarks for the most part will be addressing that and I think it's one of my greatest pride in, in teaching is that I reached both groups, particularly the pupils with special needs. Just remember one thing you know, we're facing a time of, and this wasn't even on here, we're facing a time of job losses and cutbacks. I come from the time when we did not have early language programs and we did not include all students. They were called, quote, not foreign language material, a pretty disgusting. Uh, phrase but that's what was said and you know what half of this room would be gone if we ever go back to that so so no matter what we've got it we're gonna succeed with that all right so I'm gonna give you some essentials that I saw for success and that I really consider best practices because they worked I was allowed to experiment a lot and that was a wonderful thing really number one I think you have to know and believe in your students And be aware of their fears, their interests, their skills, their knowledge, their strength, their weaknesses, and their general characteristics of their age group when you're doing your planning. For example, you're not going to believe this, but pupils with special needs are the most sensitive students you will ever encounter. When I go to schools, I'm always hearing this one's a pain in the neck, and this one acts out, and this one that, that. Well, they're doing it not because they're bad. They're doing it because they feel unhappy about what they think they might be able to do. It's easy for me to say this because I was among that rank of students. I failed when I started. And because the teacher assumed knowledge I didn't have and went on with teaching and I, I don't know where she was. It's so just the way you say, you, you might not know what Vicky's talking about. Well, we better know what you're talking about because that's really the language used. Okay, uh, they very often choose to act out Uh, Studies have shown that if I act bad, I have control about what I do. I feel, but if I can't succeed in what's going on in class, I don't have control over that. So I'd rather get my bad mark because I've chosen to be bad. So, but I can tell you one thing, the other happens if they see that you believe in them, you understand where they're coming from. Uh, The bad goes away. I don't think anybody gets up in the morning and says, I'm gonna go and give my, language teacher held today and get an F you know it happens for a reason so and I know and as I say I was there all right now here I am you see I have already gone I write these things down but I don't know why I do it all right <laughs> you have to be very sure of your goals what you want them to know and be able to do it's that be able to do that makes the difference It was always to know to know for no purpose The pupils with special needs tend to be the most pragmatic learners. They want to know, how can they use what they're doing? Of course, all students do, but these must. I'll never forget the student, a tough student. It was hard for him, but he came in one day, he was like another person because his dad was working with a lot of people who were speaking Spanish, and he went to work with his dad over the weekend, and he was able to communicate. I, I had the best student, he couldn't get enough after that. Uh, hmm. I think we should forget about accuracy in the beginning. Accuracy grows with the use of the language. Accuracy is never going to come through fear. Like I better get it right. Do you know which students used to go to Europe and never open their mouths? Not the uh, special needs or the poorest students, the very good students because is it sad or a star? Is it predator or imperative? I better shut my mouth. Others did what we do today. You they plunged in. I haven't said one thing I wrote here. I have to <laughs> <laughs> People who know me. <laughs> I can't help <have> <laughs> it. The other essential is, is to, I don't know why I do this. Is it is to teach in chunks. So that you, you you know what you're teaching, break it down into smaller units, and sort of assess as you go along to see that the students are getting those smaller units before you go on in this whole progress because if your student's here and you're there, there's no meeting of mind. And don't the dumbest thing a teacher could say is there anyone who doesn't understand, <laughs> right? They don't even know they don't understand. So, I mean, I didn't know I didn't understand when I was younger. What I didn't know was what's a verb. I didn't know what a subject was and that's all the teacher talked about. She could have gone on whatever. And then we got to the preterite tense, tense. My goodness! I don't know what a verb is. Why do I know what a <laughs> tense is? Really. Anyway, um, assessment is really important. It's necessary, and it's difficult for 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 flesh and it's difficult for uh, pupils with special needs. Really, it's it's difficult for you to create and for them to have. But in dealing with flesh you have to realize flesh is a non-mandated subject, and we've got to show. You know, very often FLESS teachers have to show their foreign language colleagues in the middle and high school. I'm constantly, I go to a lot of schools and they always want lists of the words they know. And my answer is they don't know words, but they know how to buy a ticket, they know how to do this, they know how to do that. that. So clearly they're knowing something in order to be able to do it. Uh, so, uh, you, but you've got to have more than teacher observation. That used to be sort of the big thing and it still is in FLESS, teacher observation. When you do your teacher observation, then make a checklist of what you see them do so that when somebody is saying, do they know it, you have something to show that they know it, okay? Uh, Where am I? I don't know, okay. Uh, When you are doing anything that is uh, a subjective assessment, you really need a rubric. But a rubric is not a private thing, nor should it be a complicated thing. A rubric has to be as simple as possible so that you and the students know beforehand what it is that's expected. And how are you supposed to cre- correct the little part that you, you need that needs correction if it isn't shown somewhere that that's what it is. And everybody is doing rubrics in their head. When you're marking something that the children have written, you don't just say she wore a nice dress so she has an A on this assessment. You've looked at certain things, and a rubric is simply putting them down so that you and the student can share this and know what to do. I, I think you have to be careful in paper and pencil assessments with pupils special needs. You give them ing- instructions sometimes in English, and they can't read. So if they can't read the instructions, you don't know whether you're assessing their foreign language knowledge or the fact that they didn't know what to do. You know, a very easy way to get over that is to use the same format. So they just know what to do. They say, oh, this looks like the ones we've had before. I know what to do, because we went over this. Th- it's a very simple thing to do. But it may- and throw away your red pen. Make it purple, green, I don't care, but no more red. That's, that's sort of out. Okay. Not a word here, I said. Motivation is, with pupils with special needs, motivation is your big factor. And you know what the best motivation for students who are not used to success is? Success. It's a very exciting thing for somebody to say something in a language to somebody else and have the other person actually react to what I say. And that's pretty exciting, particularly for students who are not used to success. Uh, You get a lot of mileage out of that. On the other hand, Fles is a totally other picture. They're so enthusiastic you can't stop. They wanna know more, how do you say, how do you say? Give them whatever they want. Keep that motivation going. It goes away later on, but it shouldn't. I think in the high school with all kinds of students, we need some more motivation. And I think the teaching for, for proficiency now, for communicative uh, uh, goals is really the answer to that. They get out there and they use the language, really. Uh, I think that language classes should be the most fun for everybody, because what do you let them do? Something they can't do anyplace else? Talk about themselves. Isn't that what they like, all students? All they have to do is do it in the target language. So it's sort of teaching in reverse. We used to teach and test for knowing lists of things. Now we give them the list of things, and say, good, let's go do something with them. And that's what we're assessing. What do they do with the stuff that you give them? And that, there, I can tell you, pupils with special needs are just like all, all other students. I think that uh, the best thing that I ever heard was when students come to me, and they still do, two things. You, used to, you always acted as if you wanted to be there with us. Mm-hmm. That means a lot to students who are not used to teachers wanting them to be there. Believe me, it doesn't mean anything to the kindergarten who knows he's going to Harvard from day one. He doesn't, he's, he's an independent learner, and he's going to go on doing, but it means an awful lot to a student that goes into school every day feeling unsuccessful. Really, and the other one was you always said if I try, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to be able to do it. And those, these, this is from students who are now forty years old and coming back to me and saying that's what they remember. Just as your student remember that. So know them, like them, embrace them, and you will succeed with all students. And I said nothing that was here. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Which you said very good thing. Yes, <laughs> Thank very you. true.